0: chapter 5, we have graduated from chapter 4. I know it's quite a long text, but there's really no way to break this chapter down. The entire context is adultery, so we're just going to go ahead and take the entire chapter because it's all one context. Proverbs 5, I'm going to start reading verse number 1. Bible says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may know or keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of of the congregation and assembly. Drink waters out of thine own cisterns, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountain be dispersed abroad in rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own, and not not a stranger's with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Uh, Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Some pretty strong words. Of judgment in that passage. Uh, as, we talk about, as we talk about adultery this evening, it's going to apply both to physical and spiritual adultery as well. The spiritual aspect of adultery is what makes the physical act so bad. Adultery of the physical kind is bad because of the spiritual adultery it represents. It's a sign of unfaithfulness, Un- unfaithfulness, I can't said that. Unfaithfulness. We serve a faithful God. You understand that sin is sin because sin is a violation of the nature of God, right? That's why it's wrong to sin. So why is it wrong to lie? Because God is truth. That's why. That's why we don't lie, because He is truth. Uh, why is it wrong to steal? because God provides us all things, right? And to steal is to accuse God of not providing us something that we needed. Of course, we know why um, idolatry is evil, right? Because there's only one true living God and we are to serve him only, right? Uh, why is it wrong to make graven images? Because uh, God cannot be carried around. He cannot be contained. He cannot be represented. Even in the Bible, when they see God, like in the book of Revelation, what do you see? He was like this. He was like this. He was like, he's trying to find words to describe God because you can't just say he's got brown hair and brown eyes and a pointed chin. You can't do it. I mean, he's so magnificent that human words literally cannot describe him. So we have to say, well, he's like this. It's, it's like rivers of water coming out of his mouth. The sound of his voice is like many waters. And, and he had, he, had a, he looked kind of like this stone over here, and he was shining like this. So they can't put into words what God looks like, because we cannot, with our language so finite as it is, describe the glorious God that we serve. And so adultery, why is adultery so bad? Well, because God is a God of faithfulness. And when you're unfaithful, you're violating the character of God. Israel did it over and over again in the Old Testament, didn't they? Oh, man, so many times. God compares her to a whorish wife. Remember uh, Hosea, what a great book Hosea is. He tells him, Go marry this daughter of whoredom." Then she leaves him and goes back and go go get her go bring her back. Go bring her back. Go bring her back. Then finally she sells herself. He says, Go buy her back. And God tells Hosea, tell Israel, that's what I've done for you. You're that wife. You're that woman that keeps going back and you sell yourself into sin to betray me and I continually draw you back and draw you back and draw you back. So physical adultery is bad, not just because God wants family units together. He does. It's not bad just because it betrays or causes problems for the kids. It's bad because it misrepresents the nature and character of our God. Whatever goes against God's nature is sin. Since God by nature is pure, holy, and righteous, all that goes against him is impure, unholy, and unrighteous. So let's start this chapter and work through it. It seems like a lot, but we'll get through it pretty quickly. Verses 1 and 2. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. So, We looked at these words last week. When he says, attend, he's saying what? Incline your ear. Come closer. Listen up. Pay attention. I want you to get this. That's what he's saying. We see that fact in verse 2. Attend to it in order that you may regard and keep what's being said. In other words, verse 1 is saying, attend. Come closer. Listen good because I want you to keep this. I mentioned I think last week when we talked to our kids, sometimes they don't listen. All well, most of the time they don't listen. A few times they listen. And sometimes what you want them to understand is so important that you get the look at me in the eyes. Look at me. Get this. Not you guys. So I talked to them. Everybody looked up, right? I said they all that's an obedient church right there. But sometimes you have to tell them, look me in the eye pay attention, eye contact, why? Because I want them to do what it is I'm telling them to do, right? It's very important. We're on the sidewalk. You don't run and play near the street. So we don't want to make a mistake here. You could get hurt, right? Listen, so he's saying, my son, come close. Listen carefully so that you do the things I'm telling you to do. This is so important. And if Solomon had taken his own advice, he would have gone a lot different in life. Because understand, Solomon is warning him in this chapter about whorish women, which is what Solomon went after that turned his heart away from God. So when you're telling somebody something, make sure you're heeding your own advice. Or we're hypocrites. This may have come from David. David could say a thing or two about, I'm not saying Bathsheba was a whorish woman, but he can say a lot about adultery, can't he? Solomon knew. He, he knew. He wasn't there, but he knew what happened with David. He knew what, 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 what came on. We'll see that towards the end of the book. I think. Uh, I think he gives some of the wisdom that his mother Bathsheba gave him about women. Verse 3 For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Son, come close. Incline your ear to what I'm saying, because I want you to do it. Because the enticing woman that I'm talking about is not a dog down the street. She is pretty and she is sweet, and she says what you want to hear. Uh, this is, in other words, he's saying this is not a sin that's going to be easy for you to avoid. That's why I'm listen. Pay attention. I'm going to warn you about, and by the way, this goes for men too, okay? I know the Bible speaks of it in this, but the same thing is true for, for men and women. I remember working in a hospital, and I mean, there is, there is no place, except for maybe daytime soap operas, where you have more adultery than in hospitals. I was working in a hospital a number of years ago, and uh, I remember this, uh, this nurse just was having trouble in her marriage, and she talked to her lady friends about it there, and there's this male nurse that's go, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, he shouldn't say that to you. Oh, you're such a sweet lady. Oh. He doesn't like your haircut. I think you look beautiful with it. So the lips of a of a whorish man can drop as a honeycomb just as much as a whorish woman, okay? Let's understand that. So while we're reading about the woman here as the example, I'm telling you, it goes both directions. Everyone needs to be careful. I don't care what age you are. Amy. I know somebody who uh, appeared to be a good, solid Christian their whole life, who got into adultery in their 70s. Happened. And still today, just not just less than a year ago, accidentally, I guess, being old and not knowing how to use the... Sorry, old people again. Not knowing how to use the internet like he, he should, he accidentally posted a, 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 a nude picture on his Facebook. So... Somebody we know saw it. What he was doing was he was looking at dirty pictures and accidentally shared it on to there. He's in his nineties now. Oh, so what are you saying, and what I'm saying, he said, well, a lot of us here we're kind of older. That listen, this advice goes for everybody, right? It goes to everybody because there's no age limit on adultery. There's no age limit on fornication. There's no age limit on sin of this type. And by the way, his acts of fornication and adultery are only reflection of his heart, which is steeped in what? Spiritual adultery, which means there's no age limit on letting your heart depart from God. We all need to hear this today. Beware of any man or woman who come along and listen to all your sad marital problems. You say, who do I tell about them? God and your husband or wife. Keep it there. Okay. That's the best. But, man, they're going to come along, and it's going to sound good. They just want to be my friend. No, they don't. But their, their lips, it drips like a honeycomb. It's sweet to hear. It makes you feel good. Somebody comes along, pretty sure i am saying, my wife never makes me feel that good about myself. Boy, she's just, she just thinks I'm the world that's that first step of being drawn away being drawn away I know of a man he was a pastor at the time he's divorced today he's out of the ministry today all because I don't know if he's having an affair honestly I couldn't tell you if he's having an affair let me me preface this with that but there's a lady in the church he was a handyman there's a single mom in the church he began to fix stuff in her house have long conversations, and stay hours and hours and hours at a time, and neglect his own wife and family, to the point where his wife had to stand up in the church business meeting and say, my husband's not qualified to pastor this church, because even if they're not having, he always denied having a relationship with her, there was an emotional attachment that ought not have been there. He should have fixed things and left and gone home and had those five-hour conversations with his wife. It's not always sexual in nature. It can be of the heart, by the way. The adulterer sounds good. Sin is pleasurable for any or for a season, right? But then the end comes. There's always a price to pay. Always a price to pay. Let me give you an example of the, the enticement of the adulterer. Go to Revelation 17. Revelation 17, the great whore of Babylon. This is spiritual adultery we're seeing pictured here, but there's an apt application for us. Revelation 17, 1, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. And I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, Full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written Mystery Babylon, the Great, the Mother of Harlots and Abominations of the Earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And that's the key of that passage right there. John sees this woman full of blasphemy, a cup full of the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And still, he says, I looked at her and I wondered with great admiration. In other words, what a beautiful woman. What, what a beautiful. I mean, he, he looked and said, that, that looks beautiful. But it was death. Yes. Right? Yes. It was death. She was about to face judgment. But there was something alluring about her. That John just says, you know what, I... I wondered with great admiration. Wow, look at her. How beautiful. Gold, pearls, scarlet color, costly array. She's decked out beautifully. Sin looks beautiful, but it's rotten as cancer. It's rottenness. Don't take sin lightly, church. Because it's alluring. We get this idea that, well, I'm a, I'm a seasoned Christian. I can take temptation when it comes to me. Yes, temptation never comes to us as temptation. It comes to us as a good opportunity. A nice person. Nobody's going to know. It makes me feel good. And sometimes we get to a sinful temptation. I've been there. I know you have to. We look at it, we know it's wrong, right? We see the names of blasphemy on the forehead. We see the cup full of the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And we still stop and go, hmm, that looks enticing. That looks like, boy, that'd be fun. Go back to our text, Proverbs 5. The lips of a strange woman, I'm going to, not to change the Bible, but I'm just going to say the lips of an adulterer drop as a honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil. Verse five, verse four, but, there, there's the but, sin is pleasurable for a season. It's a point a man wants to die and then comes the judgment, right? All the pleasure ends, doesn't it? All the pleasure ends. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. While she talks sweet and looks glamorous, her end is not the fun time that she offers. It's judgment and death. Don't we see that all the time? You guys ever seen those, I mean, like, I don't know about now. I don't watch newer newer commercials as much. Like back in the 80s, when I was a kid, I always wanted to grow up and drink beer. You know why? Because they're always having a beach party on the commercial. Just bikini-clad girls and big buff guys playing beach volleyball. But you know what? There's a darker secret behind that alcohol. Yes. There's men and women beating one another, spouses, abusing each other, abusing children, cheating on each other. I don't know where those big buff guys came from. They're all pot belly today. That's what alcohol does to you. Destroys. I've seen, I've seen young people, 40s, 50s, die of the cirrhosis of the liver. You know why? Because the alcohol wasn't the fun and games the commercial showed. There were consequences to it. So much so that in the modern day commercials, I know they have a little disclaimer on the bottom, it says drink responsibly. Because you know what? Those promises they made in those old commercials, people started dying. People started dying. Or the, the cigarette commercials, right? It was all fun and games. Big Marlboro man. What a, what a tough cowboy. He died pretty young. Painfully. In a hospital bed. In other words, sin always appears to be a good time. But its end is bitter as wormwood. Because then comes judgment. I'm not saying if you left here today, went home and had a can of beer, that you that, that proves you're going to hell. But man, don't toy. Don't toy with things that destroy lives. Be very careful. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. I love how this gives this description. It starts off with, she drips as a honeycomb. Her words are smoother than oil. You think, oh, that's nice. What a sweet lady. Then you go on but her end is bitter as wormwood. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of hell. This implies that she not only goes herself, but she leads others with her. Misery loves company, as they say. Verse six, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable, but thou canst not know them. She doesn't ponder or even think of the path of life. God is not in her thoughts. She's depraved and her mind is devoid of God. She may even use God to get her prey. Be careful of somebody trying to step into your marriage. Or someone trying to build an emotional attachment to you. Because while it seems good, it may seem like it fixes your problems in your marriage. Oh, that's just full of problems. This is going to be good over here. The steps lead to death and hell. Listen, nobody, nobody who lives an adulterous life has God in their thoughts. They're not thinking of the path of life, they're devoid of that. Their mind is set on themselves. I'm not saying a true Christian couldn't commit the sin, but I'm, this is talking about an adulterous lifestyle here. Okay? If somebody is living in an adulterous lifestyle, I think we have every right to question their profession of faith. Honestly. And they use God sometimes. There's a preacher I know of. I don't know him personally. And uh, he pastored a large megachurch back in Indiana. And uh, in 2012, he was arrested for having an affair with a 16-year-old girl in his church. By the way, The affair started because she was a troubled teen who's getting pastoral counseling. A pastor should never be counseling a female by himself, ever. Always be suspicious of that. And he began to find her vulnerabilities, find her weaknesses, to draw her confidence and her trust, and begin to say stuff like, God sent you to me. There's a void my wife doesn't fill in my life that God sends you to be that person. To a troubled teen, boy, that sounds good. I don't feel loved at home as it is. Now this person here loves me. And he began to use God. They even had a hymn. Talk to my wife about it. It Makes me cringe. A hymn that he called their song. And when he'd have somebody sing at church, she could be in the pew knowing he was thinking about her. Using God. He's still today, he's out of prison now professes to be a Christian but I say no not only did you have an adulterous lifestyle but you used the name of the Lord to get there verse 7 hear me now therefore O ye children depart not from the words of my mouth remove thy way far from her and come not nigh the door of her house so verse 7 in light of her end listen to my warning he says, "I want you to consider her end, and listen to what I'm saying. I'm not just trying." You ever? Yeah, you know, I used to have this attitude sometimes when I was a teenager, and I, I was kind of pretend to be a Christian, but I still had that rebellious streak in me. And, and a parent or a pastor would tell me something: I said, "You just don't want me to have fun. You're afraid the world's fun, and you want to keep me in your little bubble, so I can't have any fun." You know, I realize now at 41 looking back is that pastor and that mother saw the end that I was headed to. And what they should have said was, listen, I'm not doing this to ruin your fun. I know the end of those people. I know the end of that life. That's why I'm telling you this. I've seen where this goes. I've seen where this heads to. It's death and hell and darkness, and bitterness. In other words, Solomon is not saying, stay away from her because I don't want you to have any fun. He's saying that fun is short-lived, and it's bitter at the end. Verse 8, don't go near her. Men, ladies, avoid temptation. Don't put yourself in a position to be tempted. Let me say it again. Don't put yourself in a position to be tempted. A lot of times, our temptation is self inflicted. We put ourselves in a position to be tempted. Don't do that. You guys know my struggles with this diet that my wife is forcing me by gunpoint to be on? And sometimes I come to church. And there's donuts. <laughs> Carmen's listening to this. I appreciate the donuts for the church family. <laughs> and so I don't go in there, no. so I can avoid temptation. It's yeah, sir. But what if I were pulling up to the donut shop in my car yeah. and just parking in front of it, yeah. and I went and got a donut, my wife, I heard I smelled donuts and it tempted me so much. But it was self-inflicted. I didn't need to park my car there. I, I need to make a phone call. Well, I could have parked across the shopping center. I pulled up in front of the door, rolled my window down. I took a deep breath and said, Oh, I can't overcome the temptation. I'm going to go get me a donut. A lot of our temptation is self inflicted. We put ourselves, Solomon's saying, Run! Don't put yourself in the position to be tempted. If you're an alcoholic, don't go sit in the bar. Don't do it. They have peanuts somewhere else. Go get those. If you're tempted by women, maybe you shouldn't have unrestricted access to the internet or the computer. Or maybe you shouldn't have a cell phone. In our day and age, how do you survive without a cell phone? Survive without it. It's better to have no cell phone and have to walk a mile because your car broke down than to die and go to hell because you were lusting after people you shouldn't have been. Which is what Jesus says, right? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Cast it away. Better to enter life maimed than to have two hands be thrown into hell. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Cast it away. Better to have one eye in heaven than no eyes in, uh, both eyes in hell. Obviously, he wasn't talking about literally maiming ourselves. What he's saying is do whatever is necessary to keep yourself from sin. Don't put yourself in temptation. Run! I had a pastor. I hesitate to tell the story because I don't know. I may have wrong information. And he or somebody he knows may watch this. And so I apologize, internet, if I say this wrong. But I'm going going off the information I have Anyways, he's a good pastor, terrific pastor, probably one of my favorite pastors I ever had. Godly man, godly to the core, and uh, he ended up developing a relationship with his secretary of the church. Not, not a, from what I understand, not not a physical one, but there was an emotional something. What does a godly man do in this situation? He ran from it. He confessed it to his wife. He announced it to the church. And he offered his resignation. See why? Because he's a godly man who ran from temptation. Who said, it's gotten this far, but we cannot go any farther down this road. The church ended up accepting the resignation. We can debate whether they should have or shouldn't have. But the point is, the lesson I take from that is, a godly man knows when to run and not face temptation. In other words, pastoring that church was not the primary thing in his heart. Not sitting against God was the primary thing in his heart. He loved the church. He loved the people in the church. The people loved him. He had been there for over 10 years, 12 years, something like that. But it wasn't, it wasn't the lady's fault. So he wasn't going to kick her out. And this had developed. So he said the best thing to do is just to go. Just to run. And he did. And he spent some years out of the ministry. Just with him and his wife. And later on went on to pastor for over 20 more years. A godly man. That's what we do when we're tempted for godly people. We run from it. We don't coddle it. We don't entertain it. We bring it out into the, into the light. Those who do evil, the Bible says, they hate the light. Why? Lest their deeds should be exposed. But those who are of the light, they drag their stuff out into the light to say, I don't want this to consume me. That's a godly way to handle this. So let me take a break here and make spiritual application as well. Spiritual adultery is damning to the soul. Go to Jerusalem Tomorrow. I dare you. And ask the Jews there for a tour of the temple. It's not there. It's not there. You know why? God laid waste to it 2,000 years ago. You know why? Because they departed from his commandments. They had committed adultery over and over and over and over again. And so he leveled the temple. Sent them into exile. Graciously brought them back. Rebuilt the temple, and what did they do? The same thing over again. And he said, no more. No more. It's not there. Ask the prophets of Baal whether or not God cares about spiritual adultery. Elijah wiped them all out. Killed them with the edge of the sword. You know why? Because God is holy and faithful, and he will not stand adultery. Ask Solomon. Ask David how God feels about adultery. David's was physical adultery. Solomon's was spiritual adultery. And His epitaph, if he had a a grave out here at one of these cemeteries, would just say vanity on it. Emptiness. Their words are enticing. They're sweet like honey. This is why Religions like Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Roman Catholics, that's why why they, they sound so good, don't they? They use terms just like we do. It sounds good. But in the end, it's death. In the end, it's bitterness. They want you to believe that we all basically agree. We all believe the same thing. We're not the same. We don't worship the same God. I had a Roman Catholic one time tell me, "We all worship the same God. We all worship Jesus." I said, "My Jesus is not beholden to his mother, nor is the Jesus in the Bible ever." Mormons tell you, "We're we're Christians." I like to tell them, "You're committing adultery in your own religion." You're being unfaithful to your own religion. Your religion started because all the churches supposedly were apostate and they're bringing in a new revival of Christianity. So don't pretend we're the same. You don't believe that. Or JW tells you, we're, we're Christians too. I had one tell me one time in the park, offered me their stuff, hand out the pamphlets. I said, I'm a Christian. They go, oh, us too. So the guy I was with, he's. Oh, you worship Jesus, the one living and true God? Oh, no. But well, you, you do read the Bible, right? Oh, yes, we do. You have the King James Bible, right? Oh, no, no. We have our own we wrote. Oh. Well, what church do you go to? Well, we don't really have churches. We have societies. Oh, okay. Okay. So they said, well, He said, well, the Holy Spirit, has he done a work in your life? They said, well, the Holy Spirit, we don't believe it's a person. We believe it's a, a force. Like electricity. My friend said, Thank you. We're not the same. We're not the same. Don't go near them. I'm speaking of spiritual adultery. Don't attend their ceremonies, their churches. Don't read their literature. Don't have them into your home. Don't hear their sales pitch. Give them the gospel. Yes. But beware, their path leads to death and bitterness. It's false religion. It's spiritual adultery. You know that all three of those I just mentioned, Mormonism, the Watchtower, and Roman catholic all branched off from biblical Christianity at some point. They all committed spiritual adultery from the one true God. Let's go on. Verse 9. Lest thou give thine honor unto others, thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, thy labors be in the house of a stranger. A warning here to Israel of the consequences of spiritual adultery, but also living in violation of God's covenant. Sin comes with consequences. This applies to us today. Both spiritual and physical adultery come with consequences. There are consequences to our actions. Verse 11. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction? And my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. So verse 11, there may, there may be fun now, but there'll be mourning at the end. That's the sum of verse 11. There's fun now, there's mourning later. The reference to the flesh and body refer to either old age, being full of regret like Solomon was in Ecclesiastes, or as a result of illnesses received from adulterous actions. It leads to problems. There's a great many people. I remember I had a Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. Very nice guy. Very great guy. I mean, I loved him. And, uh, he uh, He's dead now, he died, I don't know how old he was, probably 50 when he died. He had uh, gotten away from the Lord for a number of years, stopped going to church, got into all kinds of, he wasn't married, but fornication. Adultery is covered under fornication, the sexual sin. And one night, he, from what I was told, he picked up a prostitute contracted hepatitis C, from which he later died. He he came back to the Lord. He repented. But there were consequences to his actions. And for that night, what seemed like fun, for that night, what seemed to satisfy desire ended in bitterness and death. I'm sure at the end of his life, if he could go back to that one night and change that one thing, I'm sure he would have done it. Don't play with sin. That was a literal adulterous woman in his case, a literal adulterous woman. Driving down the road, thinking, boy, she looks pretty. I bet she said some nice things to him too. But the end was bitter. The end was bitter. Verse 12 and 13 kind of sum it up by saying this person knew better. How often did I hate instruction? Instruction. I didn't heed the warnings. They regret the knowledge they had. People in hell will acknowledge they were warned. Remember the rich man Lazarus? What does is, what is Abraham... Remember? Remember? I'm not saying they'll repent. I don't think that there's no repentance in hell. I think they'll go on hating God in hell. But... I think they'll say, I I knew, but I didn't heed. I heard, but I didn't incline. I knew better. I knew a a man who who was older. He had cancer as a result of backsliding behavior. He was dying, and he's dead now. And I was with the pastor who made a hospital visit to him. And he told the pastor, he goes, how I wish I had listened to the pastor. Because he, he's an older gentleman, but he, he had, you know, a history he grew up in the church. He goes, I knew what I was doing was wrong. But I didn't listen. Because I wanted to have fun. Because I wanted my coworkers to accept me. Because I wanted my friends to think I was a fun guy. They were having a good time. Why couldn't I have a good time? At the end of his life, I wish I had listened. I wish I had listened. I think there will be people who, although not repentant of their sin, will get to hell and say, I wish I had listened. I wish I had listened. I met men in prison. You realize a lot of the men in prison grew up in church. You'd be surprised how many people grew up in church. I went into the prison as a missionary thinking I'm going to introduce Jesus to people who have never heard. Come to my surprise, they all grew up in church. Probably 90% of them. Their mothers or their grandmothers took them to church, and over and over and over again, I heard men tell me, "I wish I had listened. I wish I had listened. I thought I knew better. I thought they were wrong." Now look where I'm at, and you know what their sin ended up being? Bitter, bitter. I remember one man he grew up in church. Went out seeking gang life because he wanted friends who were, you know, not goody two-shoes. And he says, we went out for burgers and fries. And my friend said, let's shoot up this house over here. A bunch of our enemy gang guys are over there. And He says, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes, I knew, I knew. There was something in my, in my heart that said, no, I need, I need to get out of the car. I need to just go. I'll walk home. And the guy said, well, you're not one of those fuddy-duddy guys, are you? I mean, you're a fun guy, right? He goes, I wanted to be a fun guy. So I was one of the ones that pulled the trigger. He told me, he goes, preacher, it seemed like fun that night. We were just going to scare them. He didn't plan on the fact that as they were shooting the outside of the house, somebody inside the house would open the door and he happened to nail him right in the chest. He said, we went to have fun, preacher. And he, th- th- This brought a lot of emotion back to me because his response was, now it's very bitter. What was sweet then is bitter today. Life in prison with no parole. Sin seems fun. But its ways are death. Verse 15 Drink waters out of thine own cisterns. And running wa-. This is he's going to tell us now how to avoid adultery. You ready for it? Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not the strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. So verses 15 through 19, we have a commendation of marriage. Verse 15, we see the commendation of chaste intercourse in marriage set against the harlot. Drinking gives an allusion to the natural satisfaction that should keep us from the adulterous person. Let me be clear. An unsatisfactory marriage is still not an excuse for adultery, okay? What he's saying here is, be satisfied with your spouse. That's what he's saying there. Verse 16, this is figurative language, as we saw in verse 15, meaning children here. That's what he's talking about there. He's talking about children, about them being dispersed abroad, rivers of waters in the streets. In other words, have a family, Verse 17, harlots may not know who fathers their children, but there's great assurance in a chaste marriage that the children you have are yours and not someone else's. That's important. Let them be only thine own and not a strangers with thee. Verse 18 and 19, be satisfied with the spouse that you have, pictured here as the wife, but the same applies to the husband. Be satisfied with the husband or wife that God has given you. say, what if he hasn't given me a wife or a husband? Then be satisfied in God. Because if you're not satisfied in God, you'll never be satisfied in a person. Enjoy what God has given and don't look elsewhere for satisfaction. That's what he's saying in those verses there. If you affirm the sovereignty of God, then God gave you the spouse that you have. To look for another one is to say what God did was wrong, or not enough. It's to reject the work of God. Verse 20, And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all things. The Lord sees everything. In light of that, we should uh, seek to do that. which. Why would we seek to do that which brings us judgment? Right? If the eyes of the Lord are seeing everything, why would we play with sin? We can't hide. We can hide from each other, but it's short-lived. God sees everything. And as Solomon says, God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The fear of the Lord should also drive us away from these sins. A good question to ask is, what sin is worth going to hell over? If we live in sin, if we go on in sin, we're evidencing that we're not truly saved. What sin is worth going to hell over? Verse 22. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall behold him with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Thus is the end of the adulterer. That's the end of the adultery right there. Taken in his own sins. Tied in the cords of his own sin. There are many people, their own sin is what brings them to their end. We were watching, I was watching, I think you watched a little bit of it, a little documentary on Liberace. Uh Wonderful piano player. Talented man. But for all of his fame, he died alone. Just his cook was with him. For all the opulence of his mansion in the Hollywood Hills, uh, I mean, the, the, I was watching one documentary that he actually took people on a tour. It was a, 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 a stunning, beautiful. He took two mansions and joined them together into one giant mansion. He died on a couch in a small home in Palm Springs, California, of pneumonia, brought on by his HIV infection, which was a result of his sinful lifestyle. Mm -hmm. All the fun that he had brought him to his end. He was tied with the cords of his own sin. Hell is such an amazing concept because today in this world we don't sin as much as we could sin understand that right god restrains sinners there's something the theology is called common grace god holds back our sinful natures we don't do everything we could do but in hell the sinner loses his common grace and I, I, really, I really think hell is a place where our sins consume us, but we're never destroyed. The adulterous woman, what does she want in hell? She wants adultery, but she can't commit it. The adulterous man wants adultery, but he can't commit it. The drug addict wants drugs, but they never give any drugs. There's no They're just consumed by their sin. That's the end of this person. Utter consummate consummation, the, utterly consumed by his own sin. His own iniquities shall take the wicked. And he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. He binds himself with his sin. He paints his own judgment with his sin. He shall die without instruction. And the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Remember in Proverbs 1, when wisdom cried out, how long will you ignore me? How long will you not listen? And then he says, turn you at my reproof. For one day you'll call and I will not answer. You will seek me, but you shall not find me. There comes a point for the sinner, for the adulterer, for the adulteress, when they're tied up in the cords of their sin and they'll cry for mercy they'll cry for help and their cries will go unheard I've told people when I was preaching on the streets before I've said it out loud one day you'll beg God for mercy and there'll be no mercy do you know why Revelation 22 or 20 20, says people are cast into the lake of fire you want to know why because they don't jump in themselves They don't jump in themselves. If you're fiddling with sin tonight, if you're fiddling with adultery tonight, spiritual or physical, understand this. This is your warning. This is your time to run for mercy. This is your time to turn back from sin. The time may come when you seek it and you won't find it. Your sin will consume you. It will take you. It will tie you up. So, as he says in Proverbs 5, be faithful. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Enjoy the husband of your youth. Be satisfied in your own relationship. Flee temptation. Don't entertain it. Don't don't toy with it. Temptation is a lion that we think we have under control, isn't it? But It can't be tamed. I remember watching a, a Vegas act a while back. It was a, well, I was watching the act. I was watching a, a news story about it. Some years ago they had you know this lion out there, or this tiger out there before. They thought they had it under control. But you know what? Tigers are big, they're strong and they're wild. Even if you tame it, it's risky. And the lion or the tiger attacked the man. Attacked him. I was watching a story of a woman who trained monkeys, and then one got out of control and bit off her ear. She thought she had it under control. In fact, when everything was starting to get kind of haywire, she told other people in the room, "Don't worry, don't worry. I have this under control. I know what to do." And she didn't have it under control. That's sin. Don't think you have it under control. That's temptation. Don't think, okay, I've got that. i have been tempted, but I'm not gonna. I'm, I've got this under control. No. No, 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 no. Bring it to the light. Let everybody look at it and say, "This is my temptation, folks. I don't want to hide this. I need help." If that pastor had not. Come to his wife or the church and just let that emotional relationship grow into more. I don't want to upset my wife. I don't want to risk the church. So I'm just going to keep it quiet. That would have killed his soul. There's no doubt that would have ballooned into something it definitely shouldn't have been. Flee that temptation. Flee sin. It looks appealing. It drips like a honeycomb. It sounds good. But in the end, church, it's bitterness and death and hell. This man, he saw this woman in chapter 5, and oh, boy, she looks sweet. But in the end, he's tied up in the cords of his sin, lamenting, oh, how I wish I had listened How I wish I heeded my instructions. But it was too late. Let's be faithful to one another. Let's be faithful to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask your blessing now as we leave this place. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this message, Lord. This chapter of the Bible, very sobering. There's nothing light in this chapter. There's nothing, dare I say, fun in this chapter very severe warnings are in this chapter. May we heed those warnings tonight so that one day we don't look back and say, oh, the folly, if only I had listened to my instructions. So we don't look one day tied up in the cords of our own sin. Consumed by that sin. Lord, help us to flee temptation. Temptation. That woman in the chapter, she dripped as a honeycomb. She was smooth as oil. She was beautifully arrayed. And Solomon said, don't go near her. Lord, keep us from temptation. Keep us from sin. Not just actual physical adultery, Lord, but keep our hearts set on Christ. There are so many things in this world that want to draw our hearts away from Christ. You've been so faithful to your people. May we be faithful to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day, this goodness that you've given us today, Lord. Great services this morning, this evening, Lord. The Great fellowship this afternoon. Dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.